All right, everyone have a good break? Two weeks, that's nice, huh? No, you guys were all sad that you couldn't be here. Um, <clears throat> thank God for spring, huh? All right. I know. It's sunshine. It's 40. Does anyone remember what we talked about three weeks ago? No? Okay. That's okay. I couldn't either until I found my notes. Um, before we start, though, I want to mention something. In, not next week, but the following week, I'll be in Atlanta. So Pastor Tuttle and Char are going to share. Um, and they're going to kind of do some Q&A interactive, um, not quite like Jeopardy, but interactive question and answer. However, rather than do it on the fly, because that can be a little bit challenging at times when someone asks a really good question, and you're like, man, it's going to take me more than 30 seconds to think of an answer. They're, what they'd like is take one week from this week to next week, think about some questions that you might have, um, and write them down, and then next week when we get together, you'll have forgotten, so I'll say it again, and then while I'm talking, you can probably write down your questions next week while I'm talking. And then we'll take them, and then Pastor Char will have a week to look through them, uh, go over them, and then respond to them the following week, and then if you guys aren't satisfied with their responses, which I'm sure you will be, um, you can ask them again at the time. It can be on anything, not just zebras. Um, So I'm going to pray, and we're going to start. Father, thank you um, for your word. Thank you for the covenantal relationship that we have with you. Um, Father, I ask that tonight you'd bring to um, mind what, how we now stand before you. And Lord, I just ask that you establish this deep in our hearts that we had walk in this, uh, this truth, this reality, until the end of our days. We love you. Amen. So, a couple weeks back, the last time we were here, I'm going to ramble a little bit tonight, but it'll probably make sense at some point. If not, that's okay. Um, but I'm probably going to have to take two weeks, because in some ways, there are some significant doctrinal truths that we're going to examine in this. But tonight is less about teaching than catching. Um, so it's, I'm hoping more that um, God will bring some revelation. And then probably next week we're going to do uh, more teaching to bring some clarity to it. And then after the... Tuttle extravaganza in two weeks, um, we'll come back and we will look at, um, I have it written somewhere, um, it's leading somewhere and where it's leading is uh, there have to be a couple of revelations that we walk in if we're going to stand the, the tide of, you can call it relativism, you can call it um, Worldliness. So there's 75 different Christianese phrases that you could use for it. But to be an effective Christian in our day and to have impact in our culture or sphere of influence, 
There has to be some steeliness about our backbones. But to possess that, there has to also be a revelation of how we stand before the Father and how he views us. And that's what we're going to talk about for the next two weeks. And then in four weeks, in April, the first week of April, we're going to come back and we're going to look at being uh, an individual who can stand against the tides um, of the world uh, as a kingdom represent, uh, representative. So, and, and all I'm, we're going to look at it are some of the different characters throughout history who have done that. John the Baptist was one of these guys. He stood against the tide of what was happening on the earth as a representative of the kingdom. We all like the thought of having a John the Baptist ministry um, because we've idealized it, but it's far different than what that is. We like talking about Wilberforce and Wesley and Bonhoeffer and all these amazing heroes of the faith, but what their lives were actually like is far different than what we've actually idealized about their lives as we've you know, kind of turned them into heroes that we put on a pedestal, and we've lost some of the harsh truth about what it would take to live that way today. And so that's where we're going to go the first week of April. But I don't think they just were able to wake up one day and take on the world. Um, in fact, I, I know for sure that in many cases you can document through their biographies and things that they wrote, the, the journey, the experience that they went on before they came to a place where they were prepared to take a stand for what they knew to be absolutely true. If you read uh, Wilberforce's biography, it's fascinating. He avoided this thing that he ended up making his life's cause in the abolition of the slave trade. He avoided it for years. He would not get dragged into this thing. And eventually, because of his faith, his knowledge of God, he was brought to a place where he could not, he could not stand himself if he didn't take action. But I believe there are a few um, things that we have to understand first that will enable us to become people who do uh, impact our culture and are able to take a stand during difficult times. <clears throat> I think it's pretty safe to say that we are in, uh, as far as America's history, some, some of the more difficult times to be a Christian and to be... Uh, to speak out about your faith. Um, it's not exactly a popular thing to be a, a Christian <clears throat> in our culture. And yet, if we lose that in our, in our culture, we, there's a lot to be lost in it. Um, and uh, so right now, we live in a country where you can be a Christian kind of um, legally and speak your mind on things. <clears throat> And a lot of us as Christians, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but as Christians we go, well, being a Christian is really just about loving people. We don't need to worry about the protected shelter that the government provides. Well, that's true, but because they point, we point to the New Testament. We say in the New Testament it was all just about loving your neighbor and trying to do miracles. And they didn't worry about the government. They didn't worry about a protected sphere. It was all just loving people. And that's fine and well if you want to live in the same government that Nero was burning Christians alive for torches for entertainment. Um, so we have a luxury, a privilege, with a government that provides protection for our being Christian overtly. And 
what we are talking about is running the risk of losing that and then finding ourselves, yes, in fact, back in a first century Christendom where to speak out about your faith could be very well the end of your life. And your whole goal at that point, yes, is loving your neighbor and surviving and daily running the risk of someone finding out you're a Christian and then killing you. Um, So it's kind of one of those, yeah, we can go this route and we'll just love people and let them do whatever because we don't need this governmental protection. But what you lose by making that choice is immense. So anyway, we're going to get there in a few weeks. But So three weeks ago, <clears throat> remember the, uh, the little baby walkie thingy we talked about? Um, Cody does. But we we're talking about not viewing ourselves as overly mature and offering ourselves a grace to the same measure that God gives it to us. So we talked about, um, hey, I'm relatively new in this thing. I should have it all figured out because I'm 25 years old and, you know, I've been a Christian and you don't have to hold yourself to that standard because God doesn't view us that way. He is willing to view us as infants, as little children learning to walk, growing in him, and he's not waiting to beat us up when we make a mistake. In fact, he's willing, he's looking to pick us up, restore us, encourage us, great job, remember, okay, so. Um, what I want to talk about today is covenantal relationship that we have with God. Have you ever been a part of a relationship with a person where you had freedom in relationship? And what I, want to, what I mean by that is, first let me say I think it's really, really rare in our day to have freedom in relationship. I think it's really rare in our day. What we want in relationship tends to be conformity. Let's all just get along. Let's agree on everything. Can we just not have disagreements and differing opinions? Because we think that um, we tend to have relationships with people until... We disagree, and then we start to move apart. Conformity is very important to us in our relationships, and it reduces our opportunity for growth, well-roundedness, and wholeness. So I believe that typically the way that we feel toward people is a direct overflow of how we view God feeling toward us. So the reason that we feel the need for conformity in all our relationships and we just want everyone to get along is because we think performance affects us significantly as we are positioned before God. The kind of relationships I'm talking about is the kind of relationship where you can, you can find out, maybe you didn't know it, you can find out that you hurt someone or offended someone, or done something horribly wrong, and yet the relationship wasn't endangered by this. It's a kind of relationship where you can wrong someone. You can offend someone. You can make a drastic mistake. And the relationship is stable. It's secure. It's immovable. 
Those, re- those relationships are very rare. Being a part of a relationship where we find out we've messed up big time, maybe not been a good friend, maybe not been altogether good at anything, and yet the relationship was unharmable. What if you disappointed someone? You let someone down. You were going to do something for someone and you didn't follow through. Do you have the confidence to walk back in and know that that person is going to accept you and embrace you wholeheartedly? No strings attached. Those relationships are rare. But that's what a relationship with freedom looks like. Where your relationship status is not based on how well you perform that day, but on the reality that you are in an eternal, covenantal, unbreakable relationship. I remember for me, one of the most, uh, one of the moments where my heart was most exposed that I didn't understand this was a ministry experience that I had with, with Pastor Tuttle. And I remember, you know, I, I work for the church. And so here I am, and I'm, I'm trying to do all this stuff. And one of the ministries that we had been a part of for a long time suddenly came to an end. And so I was trying to find something to do to be a productive, effective pastor. And I remember him talking with me one day, and he's like, I just don't understand why this is bothering you so much. And I'm like, well, I just, you know, I, I want to, you know, I, I just, I got to keep, he's like, you're not here because of what you do. You're here because of who you are. And I remember just like, say what? Like, I'm, I'm on staff here because of who I am, not, not because of what I do. And it, it just really, I really had a hard time with that. Around the same time, there were a bunch of people around uh, who were always talking about soaking. And, boy, did that chap me. Um, But, because I'm like, there's so much productivity that could be going on here. And it was soaky this and soaky that and just rest before the Lord. And and it would just drive me nuts. And you cannot move, though, into a productive life before God if you can't rest before God and know his delight. You cannot move into productivity before the Lord if you do not first establish covenantal relationship. Because if you don't establish covenantal relationship first, everything you do throughout your whole life before God, will be for the sake of bettering your position in his sight. In a relationship that's free, in a relationship that's built on covenant, we're able to talk about stuff. We're able to talk about good, bad, and ugly. We can talk about junk. We can talk about failure. We can talk about my junk. My failure, and I won't be threatened or fearful that my standing status or position are going to change. 
I can also then be free to know how great I might be without my ego becoming inflated. Works, works both ways. There are two different measures that must be considered regarding our position before the Lord. And you cannot move into the second without establishing the first as much as we would like to. I don't know if we'll get to the second, but tonight we're going to really focus on the first. The first measure of our position before the Lord is covenantal sonship received by faith. It's so simple. It's the gospel. It's the end of law and the beginning of life in the spirit. It's a covenantal sonship that's received by faith. It's received without credit to us. That means that we did nothing to achieve our standing and can do nothing to lose our standing. This is, this is the model of covenant. Now, I think we're pretty good at understanding that we get saved by faith, right? You guys know the verse in Ephesians is by faith, right, that we're saved not of work so that no man can boast. Okay? So he's taking away the ability to earn it. And we know, right, because most of us have been in church before, that we're sinners. We deserve wrath and hell. And yet we've been spared from that because of Christ. So both ways, we can't earn it. And he allows us to not be able to lose it. And so we get it for salvation, I think. At least this was me. I understood it that, you know, if I wanted to be a Christian and go to heaven, I just had to get it by faith. And then, then you get on with being productive as a Christian. But there's a, there's a foundational layer that has to be established in us that goes beyond just initial salvation. And that's position before God. Because with our salvation comes position. With our salvation comes inheritance. And I think where the breakdown often happens is we know we get saved, but then we don't think that inheritance comes unless we're productive with God and he's pleased with us. And when he's pleased with us, we get more. Which is a principle of sowing and reaping, but it's not a principle of receiving of inheritance. He has forever made perfect Those who are being made holy. A year and a half ago when I I was teaching on this, I wanted to run circles in the front of the church. He has forever made perfect those who are being made holy. So what is our standing before God? It's perfection. It's perfection. So it's not just to get saved, but now it's our position. What does this look like? It looks like a relationship with God that's not based on our performance. It's based on his covenant, his commitment. So if he has forever made perfect, that's past tense, those who are being made holy. Let's just say, let's just leave off the last part just for the sake of, he has forever made perfect. 
So for each of us, in the past tense, we have been made perfect. That's what the Bible says. So what that means is, if he has forever made you perfect, nothing you can do can improve that standing or lose that standing. So it's positioning us in perfection before God independently of our performance. That's the key. It's independent of our performance. So it's almost like this. Here you've been given a position, you've been given a platform, you've been given a title, you've been given an inheritance, you've been given sonship. Here's your sonship. Over here is your performance as a son. Nothing you do in your performance as a son, good or bad, affects your position that you are a son. Your performance is over here, it's completely independent of your position. It is so powerful. It's so powerful because it's our sonship that gives us access to the Father, not our performance. So I can have the same degree of confidence coming before the Father on my worst day as I do on my best day. Or vice versa, some of us are really good at coming before the Father when we're struggling. But when it's time to celebrate, we're off on our own strength. Either way, our performance does not have to affect the way that we relate to the Father. It is so powerful, guys. It's independent. Position is independent from performance. These are the most amazing relationships. But we will not ever experience them with one another if we cannot first experience it with our Father. It's reality. Because, here's why. If we don't have that with the Father, we won't feel that for ourselves. And if we don't feel that for ourselves, we'll never be able to offer it to another person. It's just, a, it's just a reality. But if I know my position with the Father is independent, it's unaffected by my performance, then no matter if it's my best day or my worst day, I can't wait to get to him because I know he enjoys me. Have you ever had an experience with God where you just failed to a point where you were so ashamed of yourself and in that moment you were able to rush into into the Father's presence? Where you're in this moment of shame and failure and you felt his delight to pull you near to him. That's what this looks like. That's what this lives like. Because you can be in the worst shame that you've ever been. He desires your nearness to the same degree as he does when you've just had your greatest accomplishment. It's incredible. 
You know the thing that you've tried to talk yourself into doing all semester long or all year long? Like, I'm going to go talk to this guy about the Lord. Or, I, you know, the next person that I see with a cast, I'm going to pray for him. Lady with a cast. Oh, she's on the other side of the road. Dude. Just, we keep going. And you're trying to convince yourself to do this thing. And finally, you do it. You have this moment where you break through and you do it. And you go running into the Father's presence and you're like, Woohoo, look at me now. And you feel his delight in you and you've just accomplished something so great. He has that same delight for us in our greatest shame, in our greatest failure, in our greatest weakness. He delights in us to the same degree. Our position before God is independent and unaffected by our performance. It's based on covenant. It's based on his promise that I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. The only way out, this is again kind of a bit of a doctrinal issue, is if you walk away and you stay away and you refuse to ever come back. Because he will never leave you. You can mess up. He's there. <laughs> That's the worst. I mean, it's not. It's kind of the best. But you ever had this moment where you've just sinned so horribly. And suddenly the awareness comes over you that he's here right now. And you go between this, I'm not sure if I should be repulsed by myself or so thrilled that he's still here right now. He'll be there with you in it. He'll help you get through it. He'll walk you out of it. And eventually, change you so that you don't do it again. But the foundation is, he's there, he delights in you, and your performance is not affecting how he sees you. You are forever made perfect. He'll never leave you because of how you perform. We have a covenant, a contract, a promise. It's unbreakable. Our relationship is established by faith, and it is unbreakable once created. We are his children forever. Do you guys remember the original covenant was made between God and man, right? The old covenant was made between God and man. It was unbreakable. One of the reasons that it had to be God who came and died was the only way a covenant can be broken is through death. It's Romans 7. The only way a covenant can be broken is through death. The only way the first covenant could be ended was if one of the parties died. And so God chose to be the one to die and end the first covenant and establish the second. It's, it's Romans 7. The second covenant, there's no, there's no breaking it apart from death. Scripture says that he'll never die again. Once we've died, crucified with Christ, we live again. There's only one death. It is appointed for each man to die one time. So a covenantal relationship 
built-in faith is unbreakable, and it's independent and unaffected by our performance. So, <clears throat> what I'm really getting at is, <clears throat> it's kind of a key, and it's part of the direction where we're going. It's something that we don't like to talk about too much, at least um, in my experience, is it's the fear of the Lord. Something we kind of tend to avoid. We like the love of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord, but we're not big on the fear of the Lord. But I believe what the fear of the Lord is at its core is it causes us to be with, concerned with the opinions of God and God alone. Ultimately, that's what the fear of the Lord is. The only thing I care about is what do you think about me, God? When Jesus says, don't fear those who can you know, destroy your body, fear the one who can punish you eternally. He's telling you, concern yourself with the opinion of God. What he thinks actually matters. What they think, or even what you think, doesn't really matter. Which is really good news. How many of us, you can, you know, raise your hand or not, but how many of us on a daily basis, minute by minute, hour by hour, have a good opinion of ourselves? It's okay if you do, actually. You get extra credit today. The fear of the Lord causes us to be concerned with the opinion of God and God alone. Rather than the opinion of men, and that includes ourselves. And that's actually what we're going to really, we're really going to look at tonight is, uh, and there's no way I'm going to do these notes. What is God saying about me? What does God feel about me? So we looked at our position being fixed and established, and it's immovable, and it's not affected by our performance. It doesn't go up, it doesn't go down. So if our position gives us access to God and to our inheritance, what does he feel about us as we're positioned before him? John 17:26 gives us a little bit of a glimpse. This is one that'd be good to have written on your doorposts, pass it every day as you come and go. I have Jesus is praying in John 17. I have made you known to them. Father, he's talking. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and that I myself may be in them. The love that you have for me may be in them. What Jesus is praying for is that the disciples would have a revelation that their position before the Father causes the Father to feel the same about them as he did about the Son and does about the Son. So not only do we get the position, we get the salvation, we get the feelings, the affection of God thrown into the deal with our position. This will actually matter 
you know, we're, we're going to get somewhere where it actually matters. Right now, you're going, why do I care? Um, you will. So our position establishes our eternal covenant with God. It establishes our eternal life. It establishes our salvation. It also establishes position, which brings us inheritance. Our sonship comes from our position. It's unaffected. The gifts and callings are a part of your inheritance. They're irrevocable. They're unaffected by performance. They are fixed with this position. In addition to that are the affections of the Father toward us fixed. Because of the perfection that's been given to us through faith. So now God's emotions toward us are fixed as a part of our position as his children. When we get this, nothing else matters. If I know he enjoys me. He delights in me. He is attracted to me, wants to be with me. If I understand those things, suddenly the way I live changes radically. Before we get into how others view, let's first take a look at how I view me. So I've had a few different times in life where um, I, was, I, was, I was frustrated. And at first I thought I was frustrated with circumstance. And then I came to discover I was actually frustrated with me. And I didn't like where I was. I didn't like what I was. I didn't like how I was living. I was measuring success by standards rather than by God's affection, by my position. So at different times, it was, it was different standards. I, you know, we get really good at changing our standards for different seasons, but usually we cause ourselves to fall short of those standards, and so we live in constant frustration with ourselves. Or we set standards that are so low that our egos are so inflated because we're so greatly achieving those standards And neither one is good. I think most of us probably tend toward the former. Which is the first one. That being, we set these standards and we're not meeting them. And so for Christianity, obviously, the standard is being an apostle. I mean, we're charismatic, right? So, you know, you got to be an apostle to really be successful. Which means you got, you know, you're traveling all over. You have to be in minimum six countries a year. Probably at least every other day miracles. And we're not just talking like, we're not, yeah. I mean, we're not talking about the scab fell off last night. (laughs) I mean, we're talking about like someone raised from the dead weekly. Uh, Cancer is probably on a day-to-day basis. This This is success in the kingdom. This is where I feel God now delights in me because I have arrived. But maybe you've seen through that ploy. Uh, The 
this is what I see as great. A prosperous career. Oh, wait. I'm chasing around a toddler in diapers 24-7. How does this look like success? Or the flip side. I have a career and I'm prospering. But I feel like success is to be a stay-at-home mom. And I can't feel delighted in because I'm not a stay-at-home mom. It doesn't matter the standard. (laughs) The issue is the standard has to go. The only standard is, are you doing what he asked you to do? Are you standing in the position that was given to you to experience the fullness of his delight? We set standards, and as soon as we begin to set standards and think that our performance and our accomplishing or achieving these standards affects our position, we've already lost. It's already over. It's the awareness that our position generates the affection of God that will cause us to achieve his calling, his assignment, whatever he puts before us to do. And we get it backwards all the time. So this means that we don't look, we look at no one in the flesh any longer. 2 Corinthians 5.16, which includes ourselves. This means that my opinions, my perceptions, and my feelings about me don't matter at all. Oh, how liberating. Because again, most of us are still renewing our minds. I think that's fair. I think since the Apostle Paul claimed that he still was, I think for us it's still okay. I mean, it's another standard that we can aspire to and feel like we're not meeting, but for the time being, we'll just take it. So if our minds are still being renewed, that means we probably don't think and feel about ourselves like he does. So which do you want? If we understand that our position is fixed, and thus his affections toward us are as well, I'll I'll take his every day. God, what do you say about me? God, what do you feel about me? I don't like me this morning. I slept through my alarm. I'm 45 minutes late for work. My boss just fired me. I don't like me today. God, how do you feel? It is, it will revolutionize the way that you actually live. If you can come, and this has to be asked for, God, I need revelation of how you feel about me, despite me. And that that can mean good or bad. I need revelation of how you feel about me, despite me. Because I want to walk in the knowledge that your affections toward me are immovable. And they're perfect. I want to live in that. Because when we live in that, suddenly how we live out of that changes enormously. We're no longer striving under pressure to get his approval. 
we live in his approval and in his pleasure and in his enjoyment. And suddenly all the things we do, they carry no weight. I was telling pastor that I believe that often people that can get the most done are those who walk in this the most. Because they don't carry extra stress and pressure trying to get it done perfectly. They know they're perfect. They walk in his pleasure and in his enjoyment. And so all the things that they can do, no matter how great or small, they're not so concerned about. They're not so worrying over. There's no stress. There's no pressure. They can get far more done. I mean, I've seen it over and over and over. I could tell you a hundred stories, but um, it's true. I would trade my opinions of me for his opinions of me every single minute of every single day. I want to live in the place where I don't hear my emotions. I don't hear my thoughts about me anymore. I hear his. This is why we say, get in the word every day. Get in the word every day. I know we're prophetic, so we can hear God whenever. But I want to know what he says in the word about me, because that's my reality. Those are his feelings toward me. And I'll trade what I'm feeling about me today for what he says in there about me today, every time. Man, read this, Song of Solomon, you'll be up puddle Jesus dealt with this in in Matthew 13 and um, I'm sure you guys remember this but uh, the people are watching him do all these amazing things and they start to ask questions Matthew 13 54 where did this man this man Get this wisdom in these mighty works. Who is this dude? Isn't this not the carpenter's son? They're regarding him according to the flesh. Isn't this the carpenter's son? That was a moped. (laughs) Is not his mother called Mary? We know her. She got knocked up before they got married. (laughs) Are not his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? You know those guys. They're a rough crew. Are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. (laughs) Jesus goes, I know who I am. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Someone's opinions of you, someone's perceptions of you, only restrict their ability to receive of the glory of God from you but it does not affect who you are before the Father. That's what Jesus walked in. That's what he lived in. 
So when these guys, they look at him and they're like, who's this guy? He's just like, the only part of this that makes me sad is that now I'm no longer able to benefit you. But it does not change how my father feels about me. And so it doesn't affect my emotions at all. So who are you now? Who are you now that your position has been changed? Who are you now that you aren't just Teresa's son or Jacob's brother or Clarissa's sister? It's hard to just make up a name when you're just grabbing for him, you know? It's weird. So who are you if you're no longer regarded by the flesh? And how do you know? Who are you if the things that you do don't define you any longer? Someone can look at you and go, oh, you're a business person. Someone can look at you and go, oh, you're a manager of this. Someone can look at you and go, oh, you're a student They're regarding you by the flesh. Who are you for real? Oh, you're a stay-at-home mom. Oh, you're a career mom, principal, raised 12 kids, worked 60 hours a week. Wow. Regarding you by the flesh. Who are you for real? Who are you when God looks at you and says, this is your inheritance, son? This is what Jesus got when he was baptized in the Jordan by John. He got his inheritance. It was time to step into the fullness of what the Father intended for him. When he's tested into the will, tested and sent into the will, tempted. When he's in the wilderness, but he's fasting, he's hungry. He's out there and he's hungry and he gets tempted. When he's there, what did Satan ask him? If you are the Son of God. He was saying the same thing these people are saying. But he's going straight at it. These guys are taking the approach of, oh, well, you're just so-and-so's kid, and you're his brother, and you're his sister. We don't we know what you're about. And they're writing him off that way. And, and when he's tempted in the wilderness, Satan comes and he goes straight at the heart of it. And he says, if you are really the son of God, he's asking Jesus to call into question who he is by God. These guys are calling into question why he can do the things that he's doing because of who he is according to the flesh. It's the same temptation that's being offered and Jesus is completely unmoved by it. It's amazing. I I long to walk in this. We're going there. Now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. How would you like to be tempted in the same way if you are a son of God? The same could be tempted of you. We are children Heirs of God, co-heirs of Christ. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. 
That means the same temptation is offered to you. Did he really say that you are a son of God? It's offensive to think about, isn't it? But you've been given an immovable position. Your confidence in Christ's sufficiency keeps you there. And the Spirit is given to us to give us the confidence to keep us there. And his sacrifice has established us here. Because of that, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. So here's what we're going to do instead. Um, I'm gonna, we're going to wait till next week to get into the second part. And what I actually want to do, I, I guess I wasn't really planning on doing this, but um, I guess if you've struggled with uh, who am I before God, um, I just want just want someone to get to pray for you. And because I feel like there's like a pretty strong like a thing of, of prophecy right now. And um, because I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to silence our own voices about ourselves. There are few things as destructive to our own lives as our own voice about us. Sometimes we don't even need Satan. We're good enough at it ourselves. And yet, the Father will allow us to enter in and access His Word, His voice, His Spirit, and feel what He feels about us. Not just hear what He says, but feel what He feels. That's where things change at a heart level. It's one thing to get a prophetic word that says, this is who you are by the Spirit of God. No longer according to the flesh, but now by the Spirit of God, this is who you are. And it's one thing to hear it, know it, and remember it. And it's another thing entirely when you feel what he feels. When we feel what what he feels, I suddenly don't care what I think about me anymore. I just can't stop enjoying how he's feeling about me. Because I don't have to. I think that's what Peter and John and James got to see on the Mount of Transfiguration. I think they got to see Jesus' prayer life. I think they got to see like what he lived in as his reality every day of the Father coming and saying, this is my son, listen to him. So that everywhere that Jesus walked, he was feeling his father's approval. My dad says, this is my son, listen to him. Every time he walked in with the disciples and with the Pharisees, 
and the things that he had to confront and the things that he had to say going through his head and being felt in his emotions was his father's voice and his father's pleasure. This is my son. Listen to him. How much more confidence do we now speak forth with? How much more confidence do we walk with knowing this is my son. Listen to him. And I think the disciples suddenly saw Jesus' pleasure as he allowed the Father to take delight in him on the Mount of Transfiguration. And I think Peter actually accessed it and got to walk in it. And that's why when he'd walk through a town, a shadow would fall on people and they'd be healed. Because he, he started to crack into the reality of living in the pleasure of God. Brother Lawrence has a book about it, Practicing the Presence. It's becoming aware of conscious, emotionally feeling the pleasure of God as he feels about us, fixed in our position, independent of our performance. So rather than get into anything further, we're going we're gonna to stop there. If you want to receive prayer, and in your heart, don't do this just because there's like four other people there. In your heart... Ask someone to pray for you only if you're asking God in your heart. You can feel it burning. God, I have to feel how you feel. It's not enough anymore just to know what you say. It's not enough for me anymore just to have prophetic words. It's not enough for me anymore just to be able to go in your word and find these promises and never feel how you feel. I have to feel how you feel. It's okay if, if you're not there tonight. That's, but that's where I feel like the Lord's heart really is moving. And so if that's you, just whatever you got to do to get somebody, but I think about Ryan and Corey and Cody and Shar, if um, she's willing, just pray for you if you've got to flag him down. If you're not there, it's okay. Just You can ask God whatever, wrestle through whatever you have to. But if that's where your heart is, um, just stick around and let somebody pray for you quick. So, Father, thank you that you are an emotional God. Thank you that your delight and your pleasure in us is unaffected by our performance. Thank you that we can have a great day and you don't feel any better about us than you do on our worst day. Father, give us access to your heart. Give us access to your emotions. Peel away whatever hardness of heart may be preventing us or unbelief that may be preventing us from experiencing your affection. Give us your heart tonight, God. We love you. We love you. Now come, Father, and love us.